Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Unplug It as we tick towards round 18. Another Friday night game, another chance under the Friday night lights to redeem ourselves. The last opportunity we had to do that, we took against Carlton. And unfortunately, we were faced with the prospect of needing redemption again at our very next outing after the frustrations of that Fremantle game. And, and frustrations, to mind, is a pretty good way of, of, of summing it up. It felt like a game that we were in total control of in the first half, but without reward. Uh, we'd controlled all of the major aspects of the game inside 50, certainly center clearances. We'd been prolific in that part. We left a little bit out there and when the wheel turned, it, it turned significantly. And it felt like we made probably four or five key mistakes in the game and every one of them was punished. It felt like there were four or five horrendous umpiring decisions and every one of them was extremely costly. It felt like everything that went wrong, we paid maximum price for and it felt like our control was not translated. And obviously the resistance wasn't what we wanted it to be when Fremantle raised the bar. It was almost the reverse of when we played them earlier in the season that we upped the ante that not that day and they up the ante this time. It leaves us again precarious. The door had been opened by the Gold Coast beating Richmond after the siren. North Melbourne looked like they were going to deliver a miracle for us, but Collingwood won their 48th game in a row by a point. Uh, they just seemed to be able to do it each and every week. But uh, we, we live to fight another day. Um, Aaron, I'll, I'll welcome you in. Uh, first of all, what did you, you make of it? It was, I must admit, it doesn't usually I get a bit of a feel watching St Kilda for what's going to happen. And I was pretty sure at halftime we'd win, which made that second half immensely disappointing. Yeah, it did. It, it wasn't any certainty at halftime though. You, you, no. you go into halftime looking and go, okay, we're, we're what eight points up, but we should be about five goals up. And you're just looking at there going, we've wasted opportunities and there's a good chance here that we're, we're going to blow this the way we've played that, they, they're probably going to not give, give us as many opportunities in that second half. And the way we'd been converting before then, uh, if we continue that on, then we're not going to get anything. And that and that's pretty much what happened. It, yeah, never never felt comfortable at any stage. Every time we get to go in the first half, they pretty much answered it. If um, we get out to a small lead, they'd start, they'd peg it back with something uh, like a Royal Lob goal that you, you wonder where it came from or, mm. It's it's just there's just sit times where you're sitting there going things are just not going our way, despite the fact we're in the lead. But it, it didn't feel like there was any control at any point. We didn't sort of hold them in a, an arm's length at any stage. They're always there, just nipping at us. And I think we just sort of sat there and waited for it to to happen. And the second half, they came out and just put us away. It was not um, got. I guess close towards the end of the third quarter, but yeah, we copped another one and then that was that. It was basically three quarter time. You're thinking it's over. That's we're not going to pin back what, what the lead they build up in the third quarter. So it was a, it was pretty much four quarters of frustrating football where we did some good stuff, but it on the night just clearly was nowhere near enough. We've had a revolving door of co-hosts this year for various reasons, uh, unavailability, COVID, various other things. Uh, Nick Splitter, our uh, third wheel, uh, usually is up in Sydney doing some work commitments. So I've been uh, asking uh, our next co-host to sort of jump on a couple of times when we've had some gaps to fill it. I'm glad we've been able to, uh, to, to land him. And for anyone familiar with the Moravan Wing, um, obviously very prolific St Kilda supporter on the, uh, on the social channels as well. You'd all be familiar with, uh, with Michael Egan. Michael, thanks for, for jumping on and helping us out. What did you make of, uh, I guess, a Saturday night as we welcome you? 
Um, thanks, Darren, a long time <laughs> listener. Um, and it's a pleasure and a privilege to be uh, asked to uh, jump on. Look, I concur with a lot of uh, Aaron's remarks. Um, I was really disappointed. That was the takeaway for me. Um, it's a stat that gets churned out a fair bit and some people put more credence to it than others. But, you know, we had seven more inside 50s on the day and we lost by 41 points. So to me, that's that's big alarm bells. Um, Aaron also said, the, you know, the reward for effort. And it's not the first time that's happened. You know, the first quarter against Carlton last week, we dominated and we came away at quarter time with four goals, six. You know, for the all bar the last two or three minutes of that quarter, we just smashed them. And the same same thing happened um, on Friday, on Saturday night. Um, we absolutely dominated for most of the first half of that match. Um, Paddy Ryder was to quote the bloke sitting next to me uh, on Saturday night, was absolutely taking the piss. He was dominating. Seb Ross was dominating out of the centre. And we go in two goals up at halftime. Um, our forward line's a mess. Um, that's really all I can say. It's the same with the port game. The port game, you know, in messy conditions, we dominated the first quarter. I'm not sure we were what, a couple of points in front of quarter time. I can't quite remember. But um, and then at half time, you know, they make the changes. They put um, they put Nat Five into the middle, which is you know luxury, be a lovely luxury to have. Brayshaw just took the game apart. Um, Frio went at 83% disposal efficiency for the whole game. Now, <clears throat> I'm, you know, I don't keep too close a track of these things, but that to me seems really, really high. Um, and I'm wondering, is that their really sublime foot skills or is it our lack of pressure that we put on during the, you know, during the game? Um, we had two defenders who didn't lie a tackle for the whole game, Jimmy Webster and Cal Wilkie. Um, and it was, you know, they were just waltzing the ball out of defence. They were piercing our zones um, far, far too easily. I thought, um, Darren, you um, you hinted on a few of the umpiring decisions during the during the game. And, you know, I, I said to somebody at quarter time, you know, I think the, the frees are about nine to three. And I thought, goodness me, no one can complain about, uh, hmm. about the run we've had in the first quarter. <laughs> but that didn't age very well, unfortunately. But I just... I just thought our head dropped a bit when we got, you know, the Rory Lobb arm chop that just wasn't there. And then the Max King not getting paid an arm chop up the other end. And then that, you know, much repeated, much talked about triple whammy of the, you know, non-holding the ball free kick to Brad Hill getting pinged to the 50 for descent right on the three-quarter time siren. And as you said, the, the timing just couldn't have been worse uh, for that. Yeah, and it kind of... um what I was alluding to with all of those mistakes, it felt like in the first quarter, you know, we we had Paddy Ryder, the only mistake he made, he dropped that mark in the defensive goal score and then Darcy um, kicked the goal from the boundary. Um, I think there was one other mistake in that quarter. In the second quarter, obviously, you had the the, the one bad umpiring decision when Lobb, um, you know, got the free kick for the arm chop and down the other end, Max takes a contested mark, which wasn't paid and then the arm chop and you're sitting there thinking, it's only a little thing here and there. Then in the third quarter, you had, uh, the turnover where Joyce obviously kicked it high up in the air and coughed it up. I think he gave up one of the other goals to Frederick at the other end in the first quarter with a mistake. And then you had the uh, Max King, I think, kick one out in the full late in the second quarter. Uh, and to me, the, the big moments were just before that triple whammy, as you said, 
about 40 metres from goal, Brad Crouch caught Schultz stone cold holding the ball 35 metres out directly in front. Stone cold gone. Uh, called play on. So the, the double, the, the quadruple whammy for that is we would have had a shot from 35 metres out to go within 12. Instead, it goes into the middle and we're four goals down, but we're four goals down with a complete momentum sapping moment that just takes any chance away winning the game. So we probably would have lost anyway. They were all over us at that point. But that's what I meant by the frustrations because it was everything that was a mistake, either by us, which there were a lot of them, or by umpires. We paid absolute maximum toll for it every single time. Um, even the one where Zach Jones was penalised on the wing for the the high contact when he was he was grabbed around the neck. Fremantle kicked that straight inside 50 and kicked the goal. Um, it, everything that, every little half thing went against us. And, and there was a noticeable drop in intensity. You could tell five minutes after half time that our rate and our level had dropped. And when it dropped, Fremantle's ball use was just far superior. As you said, they, they just cut us to ribbons uh, and we needed to be almost maximum pressure to have any chance of stopping that. And, uh, when it went against us, our, our resistance just dropped. You sort, of, you sort of wonder, they they were kicking it short, moving it around, going between us, and because we're, we're sort of guarding space again, and they're just cutting us up in between each each position that we were guarding. You sort of think, well, if they're doing it that easily, why are we not stepping up to them? And we just continue to sit back and go, Uncontested mark, uncontested mark, uncontested mark. All, and then we just all of a sudden just all float out and it opens the forward line for their their full forwards or small forwards, whoever is there to run into space and take an easy mark. And you look at it down our end, Max King couldn't find a centimetre move. You, you sort of think, well, you can see what they're doing down their end. They're, how easily they're stopping us finding a target. Why can't we replicate it at their end? Why are we giving them the space to basically go, oh, there's the forward, I'll kick it to them? And it just baffles me that we continue the, this, this zone defence even when we're getting chopped up so badly. Get on someone and not, look, make it hard for them to take a mark. Make, make a contest. But we just, we're just letting them run around do whatever they want. It's... I'm just sitting there being just shaking my head going, this, this is so frustrating because you can see players stand there pointing. Oh, you're over there. You're over there. You're over there. And the free players just going, all right, I'm just going to jump right in the middle of the three of you and take an easy mark. That's it just, it's just getting a bit too, too easy to play against now. And like, you can't let good disposing, running teams do that to you because it's it's just going to run through us every week and it's 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 not going to work for much longer um so i think i think that's going to have to be what we really need to change from now on because the team's going to look at and go yep that's how we beat them simple yeah Yeah. sorry don't go ahead no you go you go um yeah, look, it's interesting from my vantage point up, sort of pretty much bang on the wing up on level three. It's it's interesting to watch the sort of ebb and flow of the the players. And, you know, I, I obviously only watched St Kilda games from up there, but we just seem to press so high. Mm. You know, when, when the ball's sort of centre or backward of centre, I've seen boundary throw-ins, you know, four to the centre, and we've got nobody inside 50. 
So if we get a clean break, we're relying on, you know, the old school Pagan's Paddock, you know, a, a snags or a butler to run back into space to try and run onto the ball because there's just no targets inside 50. Um, the only time we had any space were those, you know, two fantastic lace-out passes from Seb Ross, you know, out, out of the middle. He hits um, hits Max lace-out because he's got room to run into and then he went and kicked it out in the full. But, um and I think it was memory. Yeah. One. And suddenly, you know, the six 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 rule, they've got space to run into. But the rest, the rest of the time, we're just we're either sitting it on Max's head, either because we've taken too long to get in there, or Max, to be perfectly honest, I think is being a little bit lazy. Sometimes he's not working as hard as he could. Um, we either sit on sit it on his head, and if he doesn't mark it, we're relying on a chaos ball to somehow scramble a goal. Or, like I said, we're relying on an open fifty and one of our smalls to run onto the footy and and kick a goal. And as you said, Aaron, I think sides are sort of working us out. Um, I thought the defence was pretty disappointing um, as a whole. I thought Joyce and Highmore. They did one or two nice things, but there were other times when I thought, gee, they, these guys have spent most of the year in the VFL when, you know, you've got that extra yard, you've got that extra second or two. Um, hopefully, you know, because we're going to need one or both of them for the next month. So he's hoping they're better for the run and, um, you know, adjust to the pace a bit better because, you know, we're going to come up against better forward lines and Fremantles um, between now and the end of the year if we want to play finals particularly Geelong in a couple of weeks, but hopefully Norton doesn't get up this week with the knee, but we'll obviously find out that would obviously assist if he, if he wasn't there. Uh, we'll look at some votes. Um, it was obviously pretty tricky. We had a few guys that were in the mix at, at, at half time, but I ended up giving one to, to Sinclair. I thought, you know, and the first thing I thought of when he kicked that double side step goal was the man who used to wear 35. And obviously the club uh, put that video up, which is quite uncanny. Um, I gave two votes to Josh Battle, who I thought was, um, you know, our, one of our defenders who won his position took 11 marks. Most of them intercepts, had a career-high 27 disposals and uh, three votes to, to Brad Crouch. I thought he was our most reliable midfielder uh, over the course of the day. So one Sinclair, two battle, three Crouch. Um, H, how did you go? Pretty similar. Um, gave one to battle. I thought down back he's, he's done his job. Um, stood up in times we actually needed someone down there, as you say, in a few of the others down the back were really struggling and he seemed to be the one down there keeping some sort of shape, some sort of system happening down there and getting to as many contests as he can and and just, just holding his own. So, um, yeah, he, all in all, he had a pretty good game, but it just became too much for him in the end, I think, the, the just the barrage of in, inside 50s towards the end of the game by, by them just, yeah, just became too much. Um Actually, gave two to Seb Ross. I think um, Mike maybe sold him a little bit short just a few minutes ago. I reckon he had four out of the centre that hit a target. And I was sitting there watching, thinking, I hope Gresham's watching this. I really hope Gresham's watching this because he's taking it out of the middle and hitting a target, not just running to the boundary and kicking it over to the left shoulder and trying to, I hope, hoping it lands in someone's hands and, it usually does land in someone's hands, but just not our hands. So, but just just that ball usage out of the middle and out of the stoppages around the ground as well. He he was yeah looking. He looked as good as what he did probably in his the best and fairest year the other on Saturday night. It was it was the disposal 
making space, getting to the right positions. He had a really good game. Um, and as you went with Brad Crouch, clearly, clearly our best. Um, you probably, I probably didn't, you don't notice as much of the things he does, but a lot of the getting in there, getting the ball out of the tight situations, I think he's what really, really got us moving in times where it was a bit stagnant. And so it's, it's, he's the sort of, he's given us a bit of drive where we've really needed that time. So it's a, um, yeah, I think it was the Sunderland lines the most clearances, most uh, second most goal involvement or most goal involvements or score involvements. And um, yeah, just, he provided pretty much more than anyone else on the night. Michael, your uh, your inaugural votes. <laughs> um, I gave a couple of mentions to uh, Sinclair. Mm-hmm. I thought, especially in the second half when we fell right away, he was the one who sort of was still cracking in, was still, you know, trying to fly the flag a bit. Uh, I mentioned also to Paddy Ryder. Um, like I said, he he destroyed Darcy in the ruck um, in the in the first half, especially. Um, we didn't take advantage of it. Um, unfortunately, only had five touches to go for the game to go along with that dominance. Whereas Lob and especially, you know, killed us around the ground. Um, I gave one vote to Battle. I thought he was by far our best defender. Um, he got to contests. He spoiled. He he broke even with his opponent, which pretty much um, made him unique amongst our defenders. On Saturday night, I gave two to Seb Ross. Um, maybe I should give him two and a half, seeing as I sold him short on how many uh, <laughs> how many clearances he got out. But it was just nice to see we've had that done to us so many times over the last you know three or four years. You know, opposition midfielders just under no pressure lacing their forwards out. But it was just lovely to see one of our blokes do it, um, and it almost looked like a bit of a set play the way he was hanging just off the back of the mm. the stoppage, and they got it out to him. And he's he's kicking is chalk and cheese from even his best and fairest years. Mm-hmm. You know, his delivery is just beautiful now. Um, and three to Brad Crouch. I thought he was our really our only four-quarter performance. Um, when things got, I thought Zach Jones was actually pretty good in the first yeah. half. Yeah. He, fell, he fell away badly after halftime, whereas Crouch still kept cracking in. Um, he was there at the coalface, tried his guts out um, all day. And, yeah, Purely because he played what I thought was four quarters of footy, he gets my three votes. Our special guest uh, will jump into now. Uh, we jump around from you know past players to the celebrity spectrum and a voice you'd be very familiar with across Melbourne radio for a very, very long time and a passionate Saints fan is D.D. Dunleavy. up the feelings of the crowd because I think we have to accept that the votes happen. We have to move, but we don't want to because you can't replace the atmosphere that we've got here. Would you like me to sing for you? Yeah. Well, this week on Unplugged, we're going to jump down the celebrity path again. It was good last week to catch up with Rob Elphinstone. We've got a few others in the pipeline, but Dee Dee Dunleavy, the Queen of Melbourne Radio and a lifelong Saints fan, 
uh, as passionate as, as any you'll find really within the uh, within the media space. We've been blessed, uh, St Kilda, and been blessed in many ways. But we've been best blessed to have a lot of uh, a lot of famous supporters, you know, in the public eye over the over the journey. And yeah, few as few as passionate as DD. Thanks for for jumping on and joining us. I'm so flattered, and it's more than I deserve. I just I'm a lady sitting in the outer and love it that way. I don't, the word celebrity doesn't sit comfortably with me. <laughs> well, that, that's what we we, we kind of love about it is obviously getting the, the chance. We spoke to Alicia Loxley a few weeks ago, who was obviously in a similar boat, and mm. uh, were blown away by by you know her her passion and, and knowledge. Where did the journey start for you? Uh, as a Okay, well, nobody's to start doing maths in their head, but in <laughs> 1969, when I was just a schoolgirl, so I was actually born in London and my family had no interest in sport. You know, George Best was was everything over there at the time. If they knew anything, it was about soccer. So we came here, we knew nothing about um, Aussie rules, but I had a teacher when I was in primary school who um, barrack for St Kilda and she would tell me about this about this man called Cowboy who apparently could carry a whole team on his back, you know, and I, I mean, as a little kid, I actually thought he was a cowboy and um, I just loved her so much. I thought I'll have whatever she's talking about and um, just fell in love with the Saints from there. And um, it probably, like I, I really, I would have to say it was only a passing interest in footy until I got to um, my late teens and I was a young journo and I don't know if you remember a player called Robert Mace, that played for St Kilda back in the 80s. Well, so, 50, I believe. Well done. Yeah, before he got the seven. Nice. Um, so Macy is one of my husband's best mates and they grew up together in Frankston. And you probably remember the story of Macy. So he um, lived on the Nepean Highway in Frankston. And if he'd lived, I think it was about 100 metres further down the road, he would have been automatically drafted by St Kilda, which was the team he had always barracked for as a kid. But because he lived a few houses further the other direction, he got drafted by Hawthorne and they didn't play him for the first year that he was with them. And the way the contracts worked then was that um, if they played him in one game, which they did towards the end of the season, he was then um, had to stay on contract with them. So he ended up taking Hawthorne to court and got cleared to come and play at St Kilda. So it was when Macy got picked up by the Saints that my husband and I would then start going to every game. So it's probably a bit late in the piece, but I'm, I'm claiming uh, support us since a little kid. <laughs> so thinking you've come from the English soccer hooligan background, that sort of thing, I assume, I assume hey. going to Moorabbin may not have may not have been such a daunting sort of thing to have walked <laughs> into. So you probably would have had a, a, a bit of a feel like it was a bit tame in some cases by the, by the sounds of it. So <laughs> well, how was that introduction as a as a spectator at, like, say, down in Moorabbin or wherever you travel well, to watch them? The first game I ever went to was actually at the MCG. My husband took me and um, I'd never been to a footy game at the MCG and walking through the tunnels, I think the game had already started, the crowd was already roaring and just walking through that tunnel underneath to get up to the stands and to hear this sound and and have never been to that, it just was electrifying, absolutely electrifying. And, of course, you know, we all know what it's like when you actually see the MCG. I still get a buzz every time I see that ground, um, although it does hold some sad memories for St. Sporters. But, um, 
yeah, I, look, I was addicted right from then. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of the few St Kilda supporters who's not going to claim that they spent their whole time in, in the uh, animal cage. Um, I used to sit up in what was known as the princess pit up in Bay 6 with some of the partner's wives. So um, it was a more comfortable time, I think, than for a lot of people. Um, And I do remember, though, losing all feeling in my toes. It was very cold, wasn't it? And I remember one freezing cold day we'd, we'd been watching the game and we all used to go and stand sort of outside the rooms where the boys would have a shower. And I think the boys were like squirting water out the window. They had louver windows in the showers. They were squirting water out of them. And somebody realised that if you went up this particular set of stairs, you could see down into where the boys were showering. But um, I, I don't actually recall how it happened, but somehow I and my husband were included. Well, actually, no, I do know how it happened. And it was Danny Frawley. We were sort of included in with the playing group and it, it was probably mostly Danny and I think at the time I was on Fox FM and I was doing, you know, loudly supporting the guys and I was hosting a few functions for them and they'd have those fundraising nights so that they could get the money together for the end of season trip. So I'd I'd MC that for them. And it was really Danny was the driving force behind making sure that we were included. So when the players went out for dinner after the game, we'd be included. And so it was almost, I was almost like an extra player that, that wasn't actually a player, which, you know, I have such special memories of that time and became really good friends with players like Berkey and Lowy and, and Harbs and, you know, like good friends. We'd go to each other's places for, for barbecues and stuff like that. Um, DD, just sticking with the um, Moravian theme for a little while, um, mm-hmm. going back to the 1st of August, 1992, um, and as most Saints fans remember, that was our last game at Moorabbin against Fitzroy. Uh, and it was documented in a really nice piece um, by a um, long gone Channel 9 sports program called Sports Sunday. Um, Anne-Marie Sparkman went down there and basically interviewed a whole bunch of the um, fans in the crowd, including uh, yourself and Bruce Eva. Um, I do remember that your name strap. I've watched it a few times. It's on YouTube. So uh, if anyone wants to track it down, just Google or just YouTube. Um, no fines on there too. Yeah. Last, <laughs> yeah, last game at Moorabbin, St Kilda. Um, I do remember your name strap though, because I think it might have been edited in Sydney. Um, you, you were called Die Die rather than... Oh. <laughs> um, what are your memories of that last game at Moorabbin? Um, I was distracted by the fact that I had to do an interview, I have to say. Um yeah, I remember being very sad and and feeling that it was wrong, that that we didn't want to leave there. Although, having said that, having just described the cold and the uncomfortable conditions that we used to sit through, there was a little part of me thinking, surely in this modern world there's a better way we can watch football than, than this and getting pelted on by hail and all sorts of things that we used to get at Moorabbin. Um do you know, I've got, I actually have a terrible memory for specifics in games. I can never tell you dates and times and stuff. But um, um, I do remember, I think I might have sung in that video. Is that, is that the one with the little <laughs> wavily? Was something? I, I, think, I think the general consensus of everyone um, they interviewed was a mixture of sadness and anger, as you said. You know, yeah. We all, we all went out to the ground, out onto the ground at the final siren, and no one wanted to go home. 
Yeah, just just confusion of, of we. It wasn't what the fans wanted. Like we loved being there. I mean, we we there was this fear of moving to now what was it an Optus Stadium originally? We didn't know what the stadium was going to be. We felt like we were losing our spiritual home, and and it's so important. I actually went back. I don't live anywhere near the club now. I live on the other side of town, but having gone back there a couple of like well, a few weeks back um, to buy my seat in the Danny Ferrolli stand. You know, it's just, it's such an important place. It, it's, it's important to have that. It's the heart, you know, and I think when we moved down to Seaford, it, it took something away from the club. I know from the players' perspective it did. It just, it removed something. Linton Street is so important. The ground is so important just as a, a home, a place where we all feel like we belong. With your, your media presence over the, the, the years, I've often found, you know, with, with bits and pieces at SEN, that obviously as supporters of the club, sometimes we can be frustrated and critical, but you also feel that responsibility to fly the flag and to mm. constantly be going into bat and defending. Have you have you noticed numerous instances where you've had to do that, where the club's been under siege and you've almost been a public uh, spokesperson? Yeah, no, I, I do, and I do try and be positive. I mean, that is kind of my default position. I, I do tend to always find the bright side of things. But um, it is a challenge for me at the moment because I have Grant Thomas on my show every Monday, <laughs> and Grant is not afraid to be critical of the club. Uh, um, yeah, he, yeah, has done, uh, was on uh, just speaking about the Fremantle game. Um, he, but But I think he's got very high expectations and he's probably got higher expectations than me as a fan I tend to just accept I'm not a football coach I'd be a terrible football coach because I'm too much of a soft touch but um uh I forgot what the question was (laughs) (laughs) flying the flag oh yeah no I do I do feel a responsibility yeah I do I do think well, I do, yeah, no, I do think it is my responsibility to 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 do the right thing by the club because I, I tend to think of the players and I, I don't imagine any of them are listening to my show, but I think I would hate for them to hear and hear them being criticised because it, it's a job, but they're also individual individuals, they're humans, and I know they copper belting on, on social media, but I don't think they need me attacking them as well. Um, I, I hate, I would never pick out a whipping boy. I would never pick out an individual and point out a bad performance. I just I just don't think that's a fair thing to do to people, yeah. So, no, I, I'm happy to be a cheerleader and I don't care if anyone calls me soft being that. Had a number of, I guess, official roles over the years at the club. With as you're saying before, with functions and events and that sort of thing. Is have you got a bit of a rundown of the things you've done with the club and the sort of which <laughs> events you like? Did you like going to the most? Which ones were the ones that you sort of go? I'm going there just as a fan, and I this I wanted to really, really want to do this one. Or what? What's um, the, some of the things that really stick in your mind from the things you've done too? Well, there's a real variety. There was, yeah, to be careful because I don't want to dig up old, old embarrassing moments for players, but let's go back to Spunkarama. Does anyone remember that? Do you remember Spunkarama? It was, so it started with Richmond. Richmond, do you remember when they were going under and they held a few fundraisers called Save Our Skins? And so I would host those and have a bit of fun and there'd be boys on stage and stuff. And then um, all the clubs got the idea that they could do these sort of boys with the kid off parading um 
uh, type functions and that the girls would come and that they could raise a lot of money doing that. So Spunkarama was a St Kilda version of that. And funnily enough, I um, uh, received as a thank you from the boys for hosting one of these nights for them, a framed photograph. And, of course, they're all, you know, shirts off and the shorts on and doing the He-Man, Master of the Universe pose and all the rest of it. And they all signed it. It was actually given to me by Adrian Godfrey, who you would probably know. He was, um, uh, I don't know what his official role was, but he was like a player welfare kind of guy at the club for a long time. And um, it was many years later I was talking to Sean Ralph Smith and I told him that I had this framed photo of all the guys from that night and um, he was like oh gee I'd love to see that and I ended up giving it to him because I thought I'm probably past the years where I need to be looking at those sort of pictures um so Spunkarama was that stuck in my mind because there was some terrible behavior by the boys and um, silk boxer shorts were worn there were boys up on tables there were girls pulling shorts down I mean you just don't get behavior like that anymore um and as far as special nights gosh I mean there's there was um there was one best and fairest I hosted where Plugger was up on stage with me. And I don't know how many people realise what an issue Plugger had with his asthma. And I was, and, and he was nervous. And I got to know Tony quite well because he would do a little media stuff and we became friends. And he was very um, nervous of the media, but I think there was a degree of trust. I think he trusted me. He knew that I was not going to stitch him up at any time. And, and this is, bear in mind all around that time he threw the crutch at Eddie Maguire so he really was not a fan of the media but I was lucky enough that I think he knew because I was a Saint supporter and I wasn't going to do the wrong thing by him but um, yeah I was emceeing so I'm at the mic and Tony's standing behind me waiting to be introduced but I could hear him breathing and he was a bit nervous and he's and just the wheezing I could hear this like the laboured sort of breathing but then he also started saying I can't remember what specifically but saying quietly things under his breath that only I could hear like he was trying to put me off my game um so that was a I think a best and fairest night that was at the um held at Albert Park Lake one night and then probably a um a Saints Hall of Fame dinner but I, I like I said I've got a terrible memory for specific because he would win the what was the award he would ring win that bill come on one of you guys will remember um something or bill someone award and Berkey would always yeah that rings a bell but he was always get well he he would always win them back to back year after year he would win this bill someone or other it was like a best you know i feel like the angels or something yeah Yeah, something you know typical berkey you know how berkey was just always the nice bloke but he would win it every year this bill award and and we would joke you know berkey's going to get the back to back to back bill awards which he did (laughs) um yeah, and there were some memorable, memorable nights uh, dancing with him because I don't know if you've seen Nathan Burke dance, but um, <laughs> is is this just a load of crap? Do, do most people on your podcast talk more hardcore footy? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, no. We, we looked at a left field. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Nathan Burke and I, when we communicate with each other, and this will tell you about Burke's dancing, I don't know if you ever saw Glenn Robbins doing a character called Lev Slaby. Hmm. Is it when when Glenn dances and when he does, um, uh, he would dance with uh, his partner who was Margaret Bland. So Nathan and I actually, I'm sure he won't mind me telling you this because he does his daggy dancing and I do daggy dancing with him. Um, he refers to me as Margie and I'll 
refer to him as Les, so we never <laughs> actually call each other by our real names. <laughs> um, DD, a cliche question or two, but I've got to ask it. Your favourite game, the you know, Saints fans can't go back and say, oh, I remember that premiership we won. Um, so your favourite game and the obvious one, your favourite player over the journey. Oh, it's that's very hard. I think my favourite game just for the emotion at the end of it would have to be Nathan Burke's last game. And remember he cut his nose, he had blood on his face and he was carrying Ruby up on his shoulders, his daughter. But in hindsight, I think he made a mistake in picking her up because she was a little bit heavier than, than you know, like when they're two, it's okay. But she, she I, I, he did say it got a little bit tiring as the game went on. But um, I was just so proud, so proud to be his friend, so proud of what he'd achieved in his career. Um, and I think the same feelings were there when Robert Harvey finished and when Lowy finished as well. Those were, like I said, because, you know, they had been such a big part of my St Kilda journey, have been and still are and still are friends. But, um, yeah, the emotion around their final games, I think those were special games for me. Um, what was the other question? Ah, just your favourite player. And I was just thinking as you were talking there, I, as I seem to recall... You had a uh, Labrador named Harvey Winmar. So it's allowed, ah, close. It's allowed to be a joint award if you close. Want. Okay, close. So golden retriever and um, don't feel bad, but we lost him about a couple of years ago, but his name was Harvey Barker, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> which is a good name for a dog. Um, yeah, I, I would have to say Plugger though. Plugger's been my favourite um, just for so many reasons and and. I think we kind of forget how good he was, the conditions that he played in and, you know, he would just clunk those marks and how fast he was over such, you know, over 10 metres. I think he was faster than probably some of the modern players now. And, um, yeah, he he was my hero, still is my hero. The final one from me, I know you've been awake for about... 20 hours, so it's probably a can, difficult one to answer. Can, <laughs> yeah, can we just make that clear to anyone who listens to this? I've got really bad jet lag, so if I'm talking crap, that's why. <laughs> I was going to say, you um, obviously you came across in the UK, you were told about Cowboy, and it created obviously that magic of, of, of footy. Obviously, you would have learned a lot about the, the long-suffering road of being a St Kilda supporter. If, mm. if someone got off, well, it wouldn't be a boat now to be a plane. If someone got off the plane coming across from the UK, uh, and said, oh, tell me about St Kilda. How would you describe the Saints now if you were talking to, I guess, a younger version of yourself? What, what would you tell them about the journey? Um, it's hard to sell the Saints to someone <laughs> because you have to embrace them for the pain that's involved in being a Saints supporter. Look, I, I actually don't. I don't mind the pain at all. Um, I think... Um, I th- yeah, it would be hard to talk someone into following them. I just, I think we're, I think this sounds like a cliche, but a family club, like I really, I, I suppose everyone at every club would say the same thing, but I feel such a bond with everyone else who barracks for St Kilda and, and you would know it yourself, guys, you know, when you, it, it, who do you barrack for, Saints, or if you see the sticker of, of someone in the traffic on the back of their car, you just automatically feel this bond with them and I think that may be stronger for Saints supporters because we've 
I think we've suffered more than any yeah. other club. That's it's it's unquestionable now, isn't it? You know, and they all had to make fun of us after Melbourne won, didn't they? Um, and and it's it that extends to people beyond the immediate circle. But you know, where where we sit, where I've been sitting, and it must be twenty years now that we've been at what it, you know it's calling itself Marvel now, but at that stadium. The group of people who sit in the bay around where we are, you know, they're, they're almost like family. We give each other hugs and some of them, I don't know their surnames. There's, there's a few people who have become good friends, but others I, I wouldn't know where to find them if I had to, but but it's a family and I I honestly feel that in my heart. And, and you know, you introduced me with that lovely introduction and call me a celebrity, which I find extremely embarrassing, but that's not me I'm I'm just another one of those supporters sitting in the stand with those other people and and yeah it's this kinship and this friendship and this understanding that we've all been through this pain and and we hope and we wish and please someone tell me that we will win premiership in my lifetime will it happen <laughs> whoever that person is we if they could so. tell me too that would be good so. <laughs> yeah hey and you know what I just um, the reason I had jet lag, I was in Hawaii and the game against Fremantle was um, in the middle of the night. It didn't start till 11.30, but I actually woke in the middle of the night and the game had finished and I checked the score and what happened? <laughs> well, <laughs> the first half of the podcast will be dedicated to, to that, but um, yeah, it, it turned pear-shaped very quickly, unfortunately. It was all going so well. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well. Can I tip Jack Sinclair for the uh, best and fairest this year? And I reckon he'll be our best Brownlow votes too. I mean, I love Jack Steele. I just think he's a wonderful young man. And of the modern, of the current team, I would have to say I've probably got a sweet, sweet spot <laughs> for Tim Membry. Love him. But um, Jack Sinclair, you can see how much hard work that young man has put into his game and he should be very proud of what he's achieved so far this year. And I think they're pretty safe safe um, bets there that that's what's going to happen. I, um, I was actually going to ask what the... Um, how it's been getting back to the footy after the last couple of years now. You're, you're getting as long to as many games as you can now, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and talking no, about the fam and talking about the family. I, I think your whole family is a secure supporters as well. Well, you no, managed to get everyone on board or not? Something something went wrong. So my husband used to barrack from Richmond. I managed to to swing him around, and that was easy. I just threatened to never give him any dinners, hot dinners again, um, <laughs> and make him sleep in the garden. But um, my daughter Bonnie, she's twenty seven now. She um, is crazy about Saints, mad Saints supporter. But I don't know what happened with my son. He just the football gene completely skipped him. We used to we had a seat for him, and for actually a couple of years we would continue to buy the allocated seat for him in the hopes that he would still come, but he's, he just is not interested. So I don't know what happened there. Um, I've tried smacking him, but apparently you're not allowed to do that to kids anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, 20, he's 23 now. He can make his own choice. So, you know, I don't know what happened there. don't know what happened. And mum and dad, who came to this country with no interest, even they, um, developed an interest in it because they know how much we love love our footy. We love our saints in this house. So um, managed to swing mum and dad around as well. Um, last one from me, Dede. In, in your mixing, in your, you know, the media circles that you do, have you ever come across anyone who's sort of ambivalent about footy or perhaps has just moved to Melbourne and hasn't got a team and you've done your, um, you've tried to recruit 
uh, that person to the Saints or is that just you wouldn't be that cruel to them? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I went in hard. So Matt Damon came out, and this is, sorry, that sounds like a horrible, wanky, name-droppy thing, but can't help it. Um, it was a few years ago at um, when I was working at another radio station that I choose not to, to name. Uh, <laughs> um Matt Damon was here promoting, I think, the first of the Bourne movies and he barracked for the Boston Red Sox and they had not won a premiership for a very long time. And at that time I was doing a show with Grubby, who's my mate who barracks for the Swans, and at that stage the Swans had not won a premiership, so that's how many years back we're going. And we were both, like, campaigning so hard to get Matt Damon to back for our teams because he kind of understood because the Red Sox had not won uh, a championship for so long and we were both going, well, my team hasn't won a premiership for a long, long time. And actually I think Grubby trumped me. Uh, I think the Swans had been longer than than the Saints without winning a premiership at that time. And so um, I'm pretty sure Matt Damon kind of went his way. So I tried. I tried to get him on board, uh, but I failed, unfortunately. But um, no, and it's always kind of amused me when people come to town, like whether it was, uh, I think they did it with Sher, didn't they? And Elle McPherson, like Mm. I hate it when they stick a celebrity in a Saints (laughs) jumper and like put a footy in their hand and one of the players is there looking all embarrassed and it's all awkward and stuff. I, I hate that happening, so I would never force someone to break for St Kilda. The best one was Samuel L. Jackson, but the funniest one about all of that oh, is, that, not that the funniest was. one, but the other coolest part about all of that is you mentioned the Boston Red Sox, you mentioned Sydney, they've all broken their droughts and we're yep. left uh, we're left. I know, <laughs> so, I know. But, yeah. and here's the terrible part, Matt Damon came back to Australia mm. and we interviewed him again and by that stage the Red Sox had won and the Saint, uh, the Swans had won and there was just poor little sad me, still <laughs> the loser in the corner. But you know what, I, it's, it's, to me it's like, um, it's like I'm married to the club, like I love them, I will love them always. They break my heart. It's almost like, you know, they, they've, They've asked me to marry them. I've come to the the altar and and they stand me up every single time, but I still keep turning up thinking, you know, one day they will marry me. One day they will (laughs) give me a premiership. Like we can only dream. We can only dream. But what I've also, I guess it's like a self-defence thing that and maybe other supporters do this, but I think you can sort of pin your hopes on winning that elusive premiership. And we know how much hard work went into it. I mean, look at 2009 through 2010, all the wins that we had during that year. And you just think you kind of feel like you deserve it. You're going to get that, that premiership at the end of it and you don't get it. Like how much hard work goes into it, but it may never happen. And there's nothing you nor I or any other supporter can do to make that happen. So what I do is I take maximum joy from every little thing that I see in every single game. So whether it's just like, you know, Jack Sinclair chasing someone down or or Dan Butler chasing someone down and tackling them or an incredible snap goal from Max King or whatever it is, whatever the, those little moments are, I make sure that I absolutely enjoy those as much as I possibly can because there may not be that big exciting finish that we're all dreaming of having one day and you, you, you've you got to get joy from the game 
along the journey. I always describe St Kilda as a bit like a, you know, a brother that's constantly in trouble and constantly, you know, loses jobs and is down on his luck and he always disappoints you and you're always disappointed at him and you always tell him how disappointed you are. But as soon as somebody outside the family criticises him, you, you defend and you realise you love him still and, you, you know, yes. you go into bat for them as much as you possibly can. You, you just sort of, they're still family and you're like, you'll, you'll always protect them in that sense. But, um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? You know, and it's and when you think it's a moving beast, like the, the, yeah. the players change all the time. So it can't be the players that we're loyal to. And even the club itself looks different, and but there's just a feeling and a, there's something. I don't know what it is. It's the tradition. It's just the club and it's just the love of that. You know, it's I, I, it's very hard to define, but it's a feeling of belonging and, and uh, I think it's something we all need in our lives. Catch DD on the 3RW Arvos each day, Monday to Friday. DD, thank you very much for your time. It's an absolute honour to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Eddie. Sleep well. And we have actually found that uh, footage that Michael was referring to in that uh, interview from the final game at Moorabbin in 1992 with a DD or Die Die, as it says in the uh, in the video. She was described as song songwriter, I think, at that point. She was uh, the songs for the Saints fans in the outer uh, at that stage. But um, oh, yeah, but uh, Die Die, as you say, um, or that their way of spelling DD. Um, we, we look ahead to the the Western Bulldogs. I guess my views are similar to to Carlton. I understand understand a lot of the doom and gloom and a lot of the frustration and, and I, I get that that comes from a, a place of reality but again nine and seven you know four wins required to give yourselves a chance from here uh, we're going to start favorite probably twice it doesn't guarantee your wins but we're going to start favorite against Hawthorne and West Coast if you tick those boxes you get to 11 which means if you beat the Bulldogs, you get to 12, and then you've got to beat one of the Geelong, Sydney, Brisbane trifecta in order to get <clears throat> our best chance of playing finals. Obviously, you may need to win two, but but one to get to 13, I think will probably be enough if you look at the fixture on the way home. So it really does have to start again now. The, the wins we got in the bank in the first half of the year gives us a chance still where we are now. And clearly there's going to be more wins required to make the finals than last year or previous seasons, which in itself is that so St Kilda. We could conceivably go 13 and 9 and miss the 8 and the year will look quite bad. Even 12 and 10 with a percentage of 112 or something like that, which in isolation isn't horrible, but where are we supposed to be, I guess, on, on comparison to the start of the year and where we're at now? But look, at, we're playing a Bulldog side that, let's be honest, has been in disarray for the last couple of weeks. They've put in a couple of pretty ordinary performances. They got fixed up pretty badly last week. Their chances are just about shot. It's really their only hope is that they pull something out here. But, they, I mean, they get Bailey Smith back. Uh, Aaron Norton's a little bit sore. Do they pick Josh Bruce? He kicked four in the VFL last week. Um, there would be a temptation. but. You know, for all of the talk around us being, you know, at a crossroads iffy situation, they're going worse than we are. That that's that's the truth. So we need to make sure that we take advantage of that and put them away. They're a very dangerous side. They played in the grand final last year. They've smashed Collingwood this year. They've they've had some really good wins. They ran Geelong to a couple of goals. They they kick eight in a row against Melbourne, I think, in round one earlier in the year. So they can play. Um, but really, it's it's a case that, you know, if we're fed income, it's a box that we need to tick. I think the changes will be relatively minimal. Um, depends if McKenzie's fit. Clark's still a week away. Um, you know, guys like Bytel and Owens, I think, are available, but you'd imagine they play twos. Hanabry, who had COVID last week, will, will play twos. Um, so, yeah, probably not a lot of changes, but, but Michael, how are you reading um, this clash with the doggies? 
as an elimination final, mm. pretty much. Um, it certainly is for the dogs. Mm. Uh, but we dropped this, and I just can't see no. us winning enough games. You know, it's mathematically possible, yeah, but, you know, we dropped this. Do we, you know, are we a chance of beating any of Geelong, Brisbane or Sydney, even with two of them, you know, down in our own deck? So I'm, I'm viewing it as an elimination final. Definitely. Um, as you said, the, the dogs, the dogs midfield is really dangerous. If they're up and about, they run, they carry, they, they're the sort of side who could chop us up. Um, and as you said, with Bailey Smith back, he's the sort of bloke we'd need to put a bit of time into, I think, because traditionally those sort of players have, you know, play really well against us. Um, if Norton does come up, you would think that who gets him? Wilkie? Probably. Maybe, or if Joyce gets another week. Um, I wouldn't put Joyce on Norton, but uh, there'd be a temptation to do so. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, down the other end, if they, you know, do they play Josh Bruce? Do they debut Sam Darcy? Um, but I, th- I think it's a midfield that'll win the the uh, contest either way. If we can play with the same bit of flair that we did for the first time, most of the first half last week and, you know, a fair chunk of the Carlton game, then we're a show. But if we go back into that stop and prop mindset, especially if they get a run on early, um they're the sort of side, as we saw last year, mm. um, who could really chop us up. So yeah, I'm... you got to look at, yeah, have a look at what Sydney did last week. They denied the ball to their the players that love to have the ball in their hand. McRae was well down unusual. Uh, Bond and Pally only had nineteen touches. They kept quite um, insignificant in the whole match. Really, he had nineteen touches and didn't really do a lot with them. Um, Dunkley was denied the ball. Um, it, it just keeping it out of their hands as much as possible. They they love moving around the ground and using up as much ball as they possibly can. And that, that's exactly what I was saying with what Frio did to us last week. That's exactly what they did. They moved the ball around until they found the open space that we, we drifted off and gave to them. So the pressure that we had against Carlton it's exactly what we need to do again this week. Because if we don't bring that, you may as well just say the game's over now because that, that they'll just move the ball around in, with free will and run run between us and, yeah, score easily. So if, if, if we're not on our toes, if we're not ready to basically hit the contests and tr- try to run away from them instead of taking the mark and just running back and going, okay, now where do we kick it to or take the game on again? They're, they're not the quickest side. They're, they are a very clean side with the ball when they're not under that massive amounts of pressure. So if we basically bring the, bring the game up to our speed that we want to play, make them panic, make them basically think, oh, okay, we, we, we've got to do something different here, put them off their game because – bit like we are at times, I, I don't feel like they really have a great B plan at times. And Sydney exposed them terribly last week that just showed that if you shut down their key players, you'll tear them apart. And it's pretty much exactly what we've got to do. Focus on their keys, shut them down early, get them out of the game and knock, knock the confidence out of them early. And hopefully we can... If we can actually 
I guess, convert in the first half, going to going to halftime with a decent lead instead of a one-goal lead where we sort of going, well, yeah, all that for nothing, really. Yeah, they've got a um, an, an elite midfield, but they've got some holes at the moment in other parts of the ground. We've generally been able to get hold of them in the ruck in the past. Their defence has been conceding big scores. Norton's an elite player. Hopefully he doesn't play, but if he does, he can contain that. But they feel like, you know, they're a phenomenal midfield that, that can be exposed a little bit in, in other areas just at the moment. So we've got to make sure if we can combat them and break even in the middle, hopefully we can expose those other areas of the ground and, and work our way through. Look, we're not in horrific form. Like we played a ride against Carlton and played half a good game against Freeman. We, we let ourselves down in the second half, but there's been some fight in the last two weeks that suggests that we're not just going to give it away. Uh, we just lowered our colours against good opposition last week. Disappointingly, we didn't respond to the challenge and we face another challenge now and need to hit back some awards before we uh, wrap things up. Um, Michael, did you want to start with a, a that's so St Kilda? There's always plenty of them kicking around. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've, I've got a so St Kilda. Um, yeah. And that would be, of course, that Josh Bruce against his old side will come back against us this week. Um, <laughs> Sam Darcy will debut. Um, and as as is our want, um, we've, we've handed more Rising Star nominations <laughs> to opposition players than any other club by a fair margin. So Sam Darcy will win the you know a rising star nomination on debut against us. Um the following week, there's a lot of uh, talk coming out of uh, Perth at the moment that Josh Kennedy will announce his retirement uh, yes. um, prior to uh, prior to their next home game, which is of course against us. Oh for fuck's sake. Uh, and just lastly, um a subset maybe of so St Kilda, we should have a category called it's so Dan Hanabry. Yeah. Yeah. Because only Dan Hanabry would uh, be right to go into VFL and then get COVID. Yeah, well, I gave him the Shannon Knoll last week saying it was time for him to, you know, to, to make a run for the finals. It was announced that he was going to play. I'm like, start to, you know, put the foot down and, you know, have one last crack at it. So, yeah, my that's so St Kilda was the fact that he ended up getting COVID between the, the time we recorded and the and the game starting. But, uh, H, have you got one that stands out? Um, I mean, yeah, the, the, it's all all just seems to culminate in one huge <laughs> thing. And that's, that's pretty much what the... The category is for us what we what we call this. So, but it's just got to be the fact of how many key stats we won on the weekend and then mm. lose by the margin we did, as you mentioned. And we you smash them in clearances, you smash inside fifties, and then all of a sudden you still lose the match by seven goals. And you think, well, what what else can we possibly do? Mm. It's we we you win all those things and. The results are absolute shocker. So let's hope that, yeah, we can somehow swing that around. Well, it'd be nice to have a team dominate us and we manage to win on the scoreboard. So being nice, uh, nice change, converting. Yeah, being on the wrong end of controversy against Fremantle is, uh, is so St Kilda as well. Not the first time that's happened. Um, yeah. We'll look at the... Jason Blake Award, which is the honourable mentions for, uh, for for players that, you know, fought pretty hard. Um, I'm probably going to give it to, I think Rowan Marshall's last couple of weeks have been pretty, pretty encouraging, uh, starting with the Sydney game when he rucked one out and then last week against Carlton and then even this week, 23 possessions and eight marks or something like that around the ground. So he gets mine, Aaron. Um, well, I think we 
recognised his input on the mm. weekend, but I didn't see his name come up in, in any bests or um, any match report saying had a really good game or anything. But yeah, Seb Ross, he got he got nothing for his efforts on the weekend anyway. So I, I really think his game was really underrated. Um, so I think he's probably a, a big nomination for it because, yeah, it, it's I don't know whether these neutral um, match reporters aren't really watching much of the, the, the full match or what, but did not see his name come up anywhere, which was yeah, highly disappointing with the effort he put in. Michael? Um, I've gone with Josh Battle mm. this week um, and and weeks previously. I'm, I'm, I'm just rat for him that after a few seasons of being thrown around on the wing and up forward and pinch hitting in the ruck and He's found his spot in defence, and we've we've tried a few defence experiments over the journey. You know, Reece Stanley being one that springs to mind that just haven't worked for one reason or another. But Josh really found, seems to have found his niche down there. Um, I think he's he and Calabine are most consistent defenders all season. And I thought on Saturday night when the defence had possibly their worst game, you know, collectively for the season, Josh was the one who who stood up. So. Um, an honourable mention to the bloke that fires the lighting show off <laughs> at Marvel because the first maybe two goals, he didn't do it. And I thought, oh, terrific. Someone's tied him up in the corner and uh, and we no longer have to endure those damn light shows between goals. But then um, he must have uh, plugged Broke something. Because yeah, <laughs> it started working again. <laughs> he was back with a vengeance after Higgins kicked the third. Um The Shannon Noll Award, my, mine might be a little bit harsh. You, you kind of touched on the defence a little bit then, but these guys, you know, they're, they're fringe players that are getting an opportunity, but our defence was outstanding at the start of the year, and if we are to play finals, they have to hold up in the next month. Uh, Tom Highmore and, and Dara Joyce, as you said, took some significant adjusting to the level. Um, the pace got them a bit. Highmore's uh, half against Carlton last week was pretty good, but he was just a little bit off this week, and, and Dara Joyce, certainly the pace got him. Um, we can't be exposed in those positions, as, as harsh as it sounds. Um, we need those guys. They're going to get games. They're going to have to find a way to deliver over the next few weeks or, or it could slip away for us. So um, I'll give them the shouts. Uh, Michael, back to you for, for yours. Um, I know Aaron's mentioned a few times during the course of the season, but um, just harking back quickly to what I what I see from my spot on the wing, um, sort of upstairs on level three, Max, he's just not working hard enough. Um, you watch some of the other blokes, you know, even a Jack Rewald, or I know he sucks when he doesn't get his own way, but he he runs and he he provides options. And I just think Max has got to work a bit harder. Um, we we don't do him any favors favors with delivery. I'll absolutely uh, grant that, but uh, I think he could play his part as well by um, doing a bit more work to try and provide. Um, a better target. H. Um, I think he was looks like he was given a different job on the weekend, but didn't really seem to give us much. Um, that was that was Gresham. He, he's hmm. he's been taken out of the center. Like we've been very reliant on him this year, being in the middle, and he's been getting the clearances for us. But as I've been saying. 
struggling here to target with those, but he was he's sort of taken down the middle on the weekend of, for most of the match. He only seemed to go in there a few times, but we, we've obviously given him a different job, but we, when he got the ball, we didn't really seem to have anything from him. It, it, it didn't really, didn't do much with anything. He didn't, wasn't um, basically make, making, making himself an option in places. It was just sort of floating around a little bit and just, yeah, going, going into flow. And then when we're up and about, he was going, okay. But soon as it was going the other way, it, it just completely vanished. So um, I think it, it really needs to, even if he's not right in the middle there, he's an, he's a, a influential player on the team. He needs to get himself in there and, and start doing a few bits and pieces just to, just, just to get the rest of the guys going. Cause he's still only pretty young, but you'd almost put him in there as a bit of a, a leader of the team. Um, as I can't remember who it was pretty much star of the year, almost said to him, he was St. Kilda's dusty. And they're going, he's that important to us. That's the sort of level that he compares to how, when Richmond were playing well, dusty was the key fact to them. Gresh became that at one point. And we just see once he's out of the game, we, it almost feels like we drop out of the game at the same time. It's, it's we just need him to lift a little bit. And um, if he's not, yeah, in the middle there, we, we, we need to get something from him a little bit more. Yeah, he's been a bit of a barometer. His worst games have been our worst games. So generally when we've had a shocker, he's had a shocker or vice versa, uh, depending on what comes first, the chicken or the egg in that instance. But uh, Michael, thank you for, uh, for for stepping in. Thank you to Dede for, for joining us as well. But uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we look forward to, to having you again. And um, yeah, it'd be great to, to share your thoughts on this one too. Uh, pleasure, guys. Thanks very much for having me. And um, we'll be there on Friday night. And um to the elimination final. Absolutely, uh, which shades of an actual elimination final. We played against them a couple of years ago, and we're, we're longing for another opportunity at that, but, uh, but go Saints. <laughs>